have a look at Psalm 90. Look at verse 12. Notice what the psalmist says here. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. When you look around in the world today, we see a common goal that is lived out. You see people who are living for the here and now. You see unbelievers uh, when asked the question, what are we here for? They usually say we here to make the most out of life. We're here to live it up, so to speak. And even your unbeliever today that go to or flock to, if you will, to churches that tickle their ears regarding their best life now, they have no sense of purpose nor goal relating to the things of God. The psalmist says in another passage that God is not in their thoughts. They live life carelessly or selfishly, not even thinking about the Word of God, the things of God, eternal life, but the Bible, Jesus, they just live their life very selfishly. Here the psalmist says that teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And we're going to lead up to that very classic verse within this psalm. But as we lead up to that, let's see what Moses says in verse 1. Because in reality, what Moses is speaking about in this psalm is he's basically teaching us that life is short. He's focusing in on the sober account in this psalm of the brevity of life. We don't have long to live. Life is very short. And so Moses zooms in in verse 12 as we uh, you know, get there. Let's look at verse 1. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord... Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. See verse 1, Moses begin this psalm by recognizing that the Lord is the true dwelling place for his people. And the dwelling place is a place of rest and refuge. A place that depicts, if you will, a relationship with God. And that's what we need today, amen. A real vibrant relationship with God. A lot of people just have a bit of religion. But over here Moses says, you're our dwelling place. We find rest and refuge in you. This is where we dwell. This is our tabernacle. What a beautiful thing to have, that our dwelling place is the Lord himself. By this, Moses does affirm that he's absolutely dependent upon God. Not only him, but everyone else, to every generation, this ought to be a reality. Amen? Living an independent life outside of God and his word is a dangerous life to be lived. You're, you're walking on dangerous ground. You're swimming in, in, in you know, uh, dangerous waters. But a life that is lived, that is wholly dependent upon God, is a life that is worth living. Amen. And we see in verse 2, Moses acknowledges that God is the creator who has been and will always be. I love what he says in verse 2. He says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Before he even created this whole universe in this world, you're God. And even after this universe will be destroyed one day, you're God. And he'll always be God. He won't cease to be God. And so we see Moses acknowledging that fact. God has no beginning and no end. Amen? And, uh, and so we see God's eternal. Look at verse 3. Thou turnest man to destruction. And sayest, return ye children of men. When a man dies, he'll go back to the dust of the earth. You remember when God made Adam, he made him from the dust of the earth. He made him with clay. 
And the only reason he had life is because God breathed into him the breath of life. But he will return. Once that life is taken away from him, the, 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 the body will decay and go back to the dust of the earth. And over here we see uh, Moses stating the sober reality that death is certain. Even the Hebrew writer says it's appointed on the man once to die. And after this the judgment. And we see that life will end one day. And unfortunately today we see people live their life as if their life will never end. They don't live soberly. They don't number their days. They think they've got many years to come. But in reality they don't. And we're going to see that in a moment. Look at verse 4. He says, For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it's past. That just tells us that God is outside of time. A thousand years to God, nothing. Time doesn't exist for God. God is outside of time. He's eternal. So Moses is trying to uh, you know, show us in this psalm that a thousand years is just a yesterday for him. It's nothing. For us, a thousand years is, whoa. For God, he's outside of time. And so in verses 5, we see that he likens it to certain things. Thou, look, at, look at what he says here. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. These are the, 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 the life of men, the years that man have, the days that man have. It's like a flood. The years of life are nothing to God. He can easily sweep away the years of men like a flood. And we see that destruction take place in the days of Noah, don't we? God can easily take our life like this. The years can be ended like this. With a flood, you see just a very you know, little flood around the world today, what it does, it actually ruins men's life completely. Destruction comes to men's life by just a flood. They have nowhere to live. They become poor people. Everything that they've built and everything they've worked hard for is gone just by a flood. And we see even the days of Noah that these People were destroyed with a flood. Their years had gone just like that. And not, not only this, but we see that he likens it unto sleep, life. Have a look. Thou carriest them away with a flood. They are, as, uh, they are as asleep. Life is like a person sleeping and then waking up again. Did you find, did you find out that last night when you put your head down and you woke up and you said, is that all? Oh, want a bit more sleep. Well, that's how life is. It's like a sleep. It's nothing. You're soon going to wake up and realize there goes your life. It just goes like a sleep. It's nothing. This is what Moses is trying to hammer down on, that our life is nothing but a moment. We see in verse 5, it is in the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In verse 6, in the morning it flourish. And groweth up in the evening, it is cut down and withereth. It's like grass. He says, it's fresh, young, green in the morning, but when it, evening comes, it dies. It's like roses today. Sometimes people try to keep roses fresh and new by taking care of them, humanly speaking, intervening. But in reality, roses and flowers and grass, they wither away so quickly. So quickly. That's why sometimes I'm scarce to buy my wife roses, I think it's, you know, a couple of days and it's gone. Oh, already? Make the most of it. Give us, let me smell it. But that's life. And that's how it's lived. It's like flower and grass. It grows and it dies. It grows and it dies. Spurgeon said this. 
about life. He says, he puts it like this. It's, it's, it's like sown, grown, blown, moaned, then gone. That's life. Comes and it goes. James says it's like a vapor. It's like a fog. It appears in the morning and by midday it's gone. The mist is gone. That's our life. It's like a vapor. What is our life? Nothing. A vapor. When you see the tombstones today, you see someone born 1997 no, uh, died 2000 what's their life that little dash you see that dash sometimes what did they live what is their life it's nothing they come and now it's gone like grass look at verse 7 Moses acknowledges that life has been cut short because of God's judgment upon sinful men and upon sinners and sinful actions this is why our life is decaying and endings because of sin and God's judgment upon uh, sin. The wages of sin is what? Death. We're decaying. We're aging. We're not getting any younger. We're dying. And that's because of sin and the judgment upon sin. You know. Have a look at verse 7. For we are consumed by thy anger and by thy wrath we are uh, troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. And we spend our years as a tale that is told. That's our life. Because of sin and God's judgment, our life has been shortened. Our life expectancy has been shortened. It's like a tale, a story told. It's like a once upon a time. A once upon a time. That's our life. There lived a man and before you know it, the story's ended. Once upon a time, there lived a man. See you later. He's gone. That's our life. Because of sin and God's judgment upon sin, life is shortened. It's a story to be told. And that's it. Look at verse 10. Moses gives the average life expectancy. Even though he lived to about 120. And people lived over 100. He says that the life expectancy here is about 70 to 80 years. Have a look. The days of our years are three score years and 10, 70. And if by reason of strength they be four score, yet is, is their strength labor and sorrow. In other words, those last 10 years is labor and sorrow. There's agony. There's, ah, sometimes people don't wish to live that old because there's pain and suffering. Soon cut off, he says, we fly away. That's life. Life expectancy, 10, uh, 70 to 80 years. The average life expectancy. Man, that's nothing. That's nothing at all. I mean, especially when you compare it to eternity. Especially when you compare it to the life that's coming. And it's just like a drop in the ocean, not even. A little grain of, grain of sand. Life is cut short because God's judgment... Have a look at verse 11. Moses is unashamed and he gives the proper viewpoint of the brevity of life. This is the reason why our life is short and he's unashamed. Brethren, we must realize that we ought not to be ashamed of God and why life is short. Have a look. Verse 11. Who knoweth the power of thy anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. A lot of people out there ask, well, why? Even last night as we went out outreach and telling people about God 
even last night, how come God did this and took my loved one away so early? Why do they blame God? Why don't you blame your sin? Why don't you blame uh, the shortness of life because of our sin and judgment upon man? I'm not ashamed to say that. I'm not going to be ashamed that the judgment has come upon man. Their life is short. As a matter of fact, if you look at one of the commandments, it's a command with a promise. If you dishonor your mother and your father, you're going to live a short life. And that, that reflects on our what? Attitude towards authority. If you're a rebel and you live your life not caring about authority, your teachers and the police and parents and is a reflection on God and how you live, you're a rebel, you can live a short life. It's amazing how many people blame God. But when you dig deep to the reality, you'll notice that is because of their own sin that destruction has come and taken away that life. People wonder why certain uh, babies you know, are born deformed or sick. And if you dig deep, it's sometimes the sin of the parents that when she carried that baby, she was smoking pot. When she carried that baby, she was doing some things that was very selfish and didn't care for the life that was lived in the stomach. We can dig deep and deep and deep in people's tragedy, and I'm not trying to be insensitive here, but please understand, I'm on the side of God. The reason why life is cut short is because of sin and God's judgment upon man, and let's not sugarcoat it. We need to learn from this. Because if we don't learn from this, all you're doing is digging your hole deeper and being an enemy of God. You can wave your fist at God all you want, but it's not going to do anything. As a matter of fact, bitterness will grow in your heart even more and it will kill you like cancer. We must live in the fear of the Lord all the days of our life. He says in verse 11, You knoweth the power of thy anger, even according to... To thy fear, so is thy wrath. God is the giver of life and he can take life at any time. Isn't that right? Before we get to verse 12, let's just focus on that for a moment. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. And so we see in this passage that men ought to fear God because of his wrath upon sin and sinners. The, psalm said, the psalmist says the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Uh, Proverbs 10, 27, the fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. Okay. By the way, let me just stop here and say that we know that there have been martyrs' death over the years. I mean, even in the life of Jesus, he's crucified at 30. We're not talking about dying in the will of God. We're talking about having your life you know, shortened or premature death because of sin. What if God wants you to live your life for his glory and live out your old age? That's no problem. Whatever God's will is, God's will is. But for the most part, people's life are cut short because they don't fear the Lord. They're wicked and they continue to do wickedness. Proverbs 10, verse 27, The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. Proverbs 14, 27, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Jesus even gives a parable of a man who did not live his life in the fear of the Lord. As a matter of fact, he lived his life, a very uh, selfish life. Turn with me to, leave your finger in Psalm 90, but turn with me to Luke 12. 
I just want to, you know, just touch on this before we get into the classic verse, verse 12. But go to Luke uh, chapter 12. This man lived spending his years building up for his retirement. It's the parable known as the rich fool, only because God calls him a fool within the parable. I know it's heavy, but it's a reality. It's true. This ought to sober, sober us up. Amen. Have a look at Luke 12. Look at verse 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? So we're getting the context here into why he gives this parable because this man wanted his inheritance to be divided evenly. And unfortunately, we see people today more worried about their inheritance of their mother and father than, you know, wanting to live out the will of God. Isn't that, isn't that scary? You know, they'll perhaps want to see their mother and father dead so they can get their inheritance and spend it on themselves and, you know, posh living and so forth. We see that today, even siblings within houses, uh, you know, fighting on who's going to be on top of the will. I've, I've, when I became a Christian especially, I've determined, mate, have what you want. I'm busy doing what God wants me to do. Amen. I'm not going to be dabbling in those things. I'll let God take care of those things and my father take care of those things as God gives him wisdom. But it's a silly thing to be fighting over money before you know it, your life could be gone. Have a look at this parable, sobering parable. But before he says it, he says, beware of something. In verse 15, he said unto them, take heed and beware of what? Covetousness. What's covetousness? Desire things, to have things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he, what, possesseth. And we know that there are teachers today in Christianity that preach that gain is godliness. That's flee from these things. That's wicked. That's a wicked doctrine. True prosperity is spiritual prosperity. God making a husband and a wife and a, and a mother and a father to be spiritual and godly and raising up a seed to the glory of God. You're better off having a dinner of herbs, amen, where love is. Praise God for that. But then have a look at verse 16. He spoke a parable unto, ben's, uh, parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought, brought forth plentifully. Now, it's okay if God blesses someone and they're rich. We're not saying to be rich is evil. I mean, you have some people that work hard and they, God blesses them. Praise God for that. But it's the attitude in which this person had towards his riches. This is why money is not evil, but it's the love of money which is what? Evil. Right? The love of money is the root of all evil. And we see that in the world today. There's no doubt. But money is not evil. Thank God that if someone's blessed, you can use it for the glory of God and so forth. But he's looking at an attitude of a person that was rich and he wanted to become rich and more rich and rich. You know, they asked one of the richest men in the world, you know what they said to him? They said this, When's it en when is it enough? You know what he said? Just a little bit more. It's never enough. Because you know riches bring forth power. And so Jesus deals with this kind of attitude and wanting more and coveting and wanting more and coveting and just living for the here and now. And he says in verse 17, and he thought within himself saying, what shall I do because I have no room to bestow my fruits? Man, he was having abundance, storing up all his fruits and treasures. And he said this, I mean, notice the I here, the pronouns, I, my, 
sounds a little bit, a little bit like Satan when he was in heaven. I will be, I will be, I will be like. Yeah. If you look at this, this is the symptoms, if you will, of a selfish person that says I and my and I. And I notice it. You'll see it about several times here. What shall I do? Verse 17. I have no room to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. I will say to my soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Sound familiar? It's what we see today. Live it up, man. Eat, drink, and be merry. She'll be right, mate. Let's have a good time before we die. This is what we see today. People living outside of the will of God. This is what they're aiming for. Live a good life as long as you're happy. And once you've fulfilled it, you can go to the grave and we're just nothing but dirt, worm food. Is that how God wants us to live? No. When Jesus came, he says, I came to give them life, listen, and give it more abundantly. God has more than just the here and now. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, he says, is not life more than meat? Absolutely. Is not your body more than clothing? Yes. Life is more than just eating and drinking and sleeping and waking up and doing it all over again. Life is more than that. Have a look. In verse 20, but God said, but God says unto him, what do he say? Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? You know what God is saying to this man? Hey, you may not live out your life expectancy. I could require your life at any time like that. And by the way, God can. Why does God take away? I mean, it's God's business. It's, it's his garden. He sows these flowers and he can pick them whenever he wants them. It's his He's the giver of life and he can take whatever he wants. He can give life and take it away. And Job realized this. God is the giver of life. The truth of the matter is that you and me, we wouldn't be here if it weren't for God. This man was living as if he was God on earth. Don't you know that your life could be taken at any moment? And then, what's all this for? What a wasted life. I think the greatest life lived is living. Living for the glory of God. Yeah, your riches, that's fine. Use them for God's glory. Yeah. Invest in eternity. People want more and more and more and more and they've got so much coming out of their nostrils. They just have so much, they don't know what to do with it. And we know what God says to those rich people that are Christians, communicate good things to others that have none. We see that in scripture. I'm not trying to undermine those that God has blessed with a brain to work and hands to innovate, but do it for the glory of God. Whatsoever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Amen. And uh, go back to the classic verse in Psalm 90, verse 12. Look what he says here. I love this. <laughs> it's one of those things that, you know, you might want to get put on your wall on a plaque, but I think it's the best one if we engrave it in our hearts. Amen. Yeah. 
You know what the best sermons are? The best sermons are not the sermons heard. Jesus preached one of the best sermons, his best sermons on the Sermon on the Mount. The best sermons are lived. And that's, what he, that's how he ends it. A wise builder, foolish builder. One that hears the word, does it. The best sermons are lived. Remember that. Over here, the psalmist says, So, after all this, Moses gives us these indications. Life is short. God's going to judge sinners. We could, we, we, you know, we could just die at any moment. We, we, you know, so, teach us to number our days. So, I get the calculator out and I say, okay, Charlie, you're 42 years old. The life expectancy is what? 70, 80? Oh, if I live out my life expectancy, I have maybe about 30 years average. That's nothing. Uh, how old's Jaden? He's probably the youngest one here. Four? How much does he have? 75? That's still nothing. Remember, Florence? Remember what you said on New Year's Eve? Say it again. Uh, on Friday, I'll be 78. And the last 30 or 40 years, it's just gone. It's sort of nearly like I can hardly remember they were there. Wow. And this is what the psalmist is trying to teach us. That's how it feels to me now. Mm-hmm. Number your days. You know, I've entitled this message, listen, our days are numbered. Our days are numbered. We don't have long left. We don't. But at times we live like we do. I'll start living for God tomorrow. You know, the New Year's resolutions that are made. I'll start doing this. I'll start doing that. And before you know it, two weeks passes short-lived. And then you, you, you go through another year. Where did that year go? And you do it all over again. And before you know it, five years have gone down the drain and you did nothing. There was no spiritual growth. There was no closeness to the heart of God. There was no any of these things that are budding, bringing forth fruit. They just live for self. A little religion, yeah, go to church on the Sunday, yeah, makes me feel good. That's right. But God doesn't want us to live like this. This is why he says, when you number your days, it's for a purpose, that you may apply your heart unto wisdom. That's the whole purpose of numbering our days. Life is short, we don't have long left. Why number our days? That we can live our rest, the rest of our lives listen, in the fear of God. Because that's the beginning of wisdom. That's where it begins. And listen very carefully, to fear God is to obey God. Beautiful example with Abraham. I mean, that's a, that's a wonderful example. When God said to Abraham, take Isaac in whom ye love and go sacrifice him. And Abraham went. He staggered not. He obeyed God. 
ready to sacrifice uh, Isaac. And God says, wait a minute. Don't touch the lad. What did he say? Now I know that thou fearest God. Now I know you fear me. Wow. Because the fear of the Lord is connected with obeying the Lord. They're inseparable. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's a submission to God. Listen, it's a submission to God's will. You want to know how to live out your, your days in a way that is pros, prosperous? In a day, you know, in your days that you know that you don't have long left, live out the will of God. You know why David was called a man after God's own heart? Because he fulfilled all of the will of God. That's what we should be aiming for. That's what we should be directed at. This is our goal. If we are to live our days in wisdom, then we must know what the will of the Lord is and fulfill it. What's the will of God for your life? Do you know what it is? Do you know what you want to do? Do you know what God wants you to do? You've got to know what it is. And you've got to fulfill it. This is how you're going to live your life with wisdom. This is how you're going to finish well. This is how your days will be satisfied. I mean, this is your days that is not lived out in vain. Yeah, this is anything that you do for the glory of God in the will of God is not in vain. It's what John the Apostle says to the, to the Christians, isn't he? What's going to perish? What will perish one day? The lust of the eyes? The lust of the flesh? The pride of life? The ambition of man? Everything? It's all going to perish. It's all going to fade away. But those that deal the will of God abide it forever. Amen. Brethren, I just want to know what the will of God is for me and I want to fulfill it with all my heart. And you should too. Don't worry about what someone else is doing. You do what God's called you to do. Amen. And you do it with all your heart. And you do it as unto God. That's what you should be worried about. That's what you should be concerned about. You know, imagine every single person in the church played their part doing the will of God with what God's called them to do. That would be a beautiful thing. Some people get too busy trying to work out someone else's will and this and that and all the rest of it. I'm not going to be wasting time doing that. I want to encourage people. I want to nurture people. Pray for people. Help people understand what God wants them to do. Absolutely. It's part of the, what God has called me to do. Go to Ephesians 5. Have a look. Have a, look, have a look at Ephesians 5. Look at verse 14. Ephesians 5, look at verse 14. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that what? Sleepest. And arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Wake up and walk circumspectly. Verse 15. Not as fools, but as wise. Wake up, walk circum. 
carefully, cautiously. In what context? Let's keep reading. Redeeming the time because the days are what? Evil. How do you redeem time? How do you buy back time? How do you buy back something that's past? Will you make every day count? You live every day in the will of God for the glory of God. And you know when you've lived the day to God and you've lived the day to yourself. You know that. And you think, oh, when you live this day to yourself, what a wasted day. You can't buy that back. Thank God for his mercy. And you know what? In the psalm that we read later on, if we have time, we finish the psalm and we notice and we see God's mercy. If it weren't for his mercy, we'd be finished. Thank God for God's mercy, but let's never take God's mercy for granted. Amen? God's mercy ought to pick us up, put us back on the right track, and push forward. That's what God's mercy is there for. If it weren't for God's mercy, all of us in this room will be consumed. Gone with the wind. But thank God for his mercy. But redeeming the time, why? Because the days of evil are evil. And listen, the days are, are so evil, you don't understand what's coming. You don't understand what's in the world today. We need wisdom from God to say, God, let me look at the bigger picture to know what's going on. Some people just have their head in the sand and seeing what's going on just before them. No, the Bible says it's a lamp and a light. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. You know what the Bible says in Revelation? It says very clearly that we need to be wise to understand when the mark of the beast is introduced. And I believe that Christians are not going to even see it when it comes. Because they're going with the flow of the culture. They're bowing at every demand the government gives. God, oh, we need to obey the government. At what expense? Not at this book, my friend. Take the mark then. Where does it end? It's got to end somewhere. May God give us wisdom to know how to live. To be wise. Not foolish. That's what, why? Because our days are numbered, my brethren. They're numbered. We don't have long left. We don't. And then notice the next verse. Notice what he says here. In the next verse, in verse 17. Wherefore, because of this, be ye not unwise but understand what the will of the Lord is. You know why we ought to understand what the will of the Lord is? So we can fulfill it. So we can live it out. And that's walking in wisdom. The Bible says to walk in wisdom. Why does the Bible say walk in the spirit? That ye may... What? So you may not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The Spirit of God leads us in the will of God. And the will of God is never, never contrary to the Word of God. You want to know the will of God? It's in this book. And when you submit yourself to obeying the Word of God, you'll find yourself in the un unseen, unfolding will of God. You'll notice that you are where God wants you to be. And that's the safest place to be as a Christian. In the will of God. There's no greater place to be. And you know what, my friends? I guarantee you that you will feel like a stranger and a pilgrim and a foreigner. The more you're in the will of God, doing the word, 
uh, obeying the word of God, fulfilling the will of God, the more you will feel like what is taking place. And only the comforter can tell you, you're in the right place, Charlie. No matter men, what they say, just keep doing it. Just keep living it. It's the safest place to be, is in the will of God. Don't be unwise, but understand what is the will of God. And we know the very clear seen will of God is right before us. And we know that God is not willing that any should perish. God's not willing. The will of God is to see men saved, that all come to repentance. 2 Peter 3, 9. That's the will of God. Are you here today and you're not saved? Because the will of God for you is to get saved, get born again, return and repent, come back to the Lord while there's time. That's the will of God. And when your life ends, you don't get a rerun. You don't say, oh God, I didn't realize, I'm sorry. No, now today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. You know, Christian, if you keep prolonging uh, if uh, a professing Christian that doesn't know if they're saved or not, or an unbeliever, if you pre- keep prolonging and prolonging and say, tomorrow I'll trust the Lord, tomorrow I'll trust the Lord. Some people say, oh, when I get to my deathbed, I'll trust the Lord because I still want to do some things that I want to do. By the way, that's mocking God. Don't do that. You may not die on your deathbed. You know, you might die instantly because of the life that you lived. But let me just say this to you. The longer you leave it, the harder it gets. Don't leave it. You're not guaranteed that God's always going to work in your heart and draw you. What if you commit the unpartable sin? What do you, what, I mean, it's a reality. We see it in the scripture. There is there. We're not just saying that, oh, it's there. We're going to scare people into salvation. No. By the way, if you don't love God, that's your problem. Salvation is about loving God because when you see this, you see his love for us. We love him because he what? First loved us. And you know why people are cursed on the day of judgment? Because they did not love the Lord Jesus Christ. You look it up. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I believe. Or 12. If you don't love the Lord, you're going straight to hell. You're accursed. It's amazing how God gives room for people to repent. Isn't that a a merciful God? That's a loving God. That God gives room for people and he's patient and he's saying, come, come, come. But that voice of come, let's reason together, may be faded away. You may not hear it like you first heard it. That's the will of God. What's another will of God? Soul winning. That when I'm saved, I know it's the will of God that none should perish. But all, So I want to be part of that. I want to witness because I've been witnessed too. I'm saved. I want to see other people saved. By the way, that's a good indication that you have the heart of God. Amen. Amen. And I'm not saying there's some Christians that don't have that sometimes and there's a reasons for it. But for the most part, when you really see the value of your salvation and you really see the end of those that don't have salvation, there's something in your heart that really just, I've got to tell them. They need to know. A lot of people, a lot of professing Christians don't witness because they don't really have a testimony. What's another will of God? This is the will of God. Even your sanctification. That you should flee from what? Fornication. I no longer want to have unlawful you know, sexual relations outside of marriage. I want, to, I want to start living a godly life. I want to start being holy. That's... The will of God, amen? What's another one? 
surrendering to worship God with thanksgiving, for this is the will of God. You know, giving thanks in all things, for this is the will of God concerning you. That's worship. When you throughout the day can praise God for his goodness. Not only when you come together here, but throughout the day, all day, every day, before you sleep, when you wake up, thank you, Lord. Thank you. You know, today, this morning, we pray and we say, thank you, Lord, for your mercies that we get to breathe. Amen. The breath of life. Because without your mercy, today will be consumed. You know, God could take you like this. People don't understand that. They're living because God is allowing them to live. Life is not, you know, a right. It's a privilege. But that's our right. No, if God gives you one year, five years, ten or twenty years, that's his blessing upon you. He doesn't, give you, he doesn't have to give you no years. Amen? Amen? But whatever he's given you, be determined to live it for his glory. Say, God, you're the giver of life. Please let me surrender this body to you. Have a look at uh, Romans 12. Look at Romans 12. Look at verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. I beseech you. How? Not with a sword. Not with force. No, how? I beseech you. I beg you. I encourage you. I beseech you. How? By the mercies of God. That you present your body as a living sacrifice. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Sacrifice, yeah. Dead men walking to the will of God. Living sacrifice. Holy. What's that mean? Separated under God. I'm separated from the world. I'm separated to God. His word, his holy word. Holy. Acceptable under who? God. Not acceptable to the current culture. Not acceptable to what we see in Christendom today. But acceptable under God. And how do we know this? By the word of God. Which is your what? Reasonable service. It's only reasonable that we surrender our lives to the will of God. It's only reasonable we don't get rewarded for it. It's something that we should be doing as Christ followers. It's a Christ follower attitude. It's a Christ following disposition that every single one of us should start living to the glory of God. Be not conformed to this world. Verse 2. But be ye what? How, do you, how, do, how are you transformed? By the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? With this book. I start thinking like God. Yeah, I renew my mind and this is, starts the trans, transformation. The seed that I'm born is not corruptible but incorruptible seed. The word of God that fadeth not away. That What Peter says. And then begins the process as I drink from the milk of the word and I have my mind renewed and I begin to be transformed thinking like God. And as I grow, I start acting like God, living like God in his characteristics, not his divine abilities, but his characteristics, the fruit of the spirit. Amen. As we see the characteristics demonstrated there and the life of Christ as we see him to be a perfect example. But why transformed this mind, uh, this life through the renewing of our mind. For what purpose? That we may prove what is that what? Good, acceptable will of God. Perfect will of God. Complete. That's the whole purpose. That's why we surrender to the Lord and we are simply uh, 
you know, not being conformed to this world, but conformed to the word to renew our hearts and minds that we would know and understand what the will of God is to live it, that we may have our days satisfied and fulfilled, that we would look back and say, I didn't live a wasted life. Yeah, some people in this world, they, they can do things. They could do things with their own strength. We saw that in ASAP 73. They, they do things, right? And they prosper in the eyes of men. And they look back and say, I, I did good. I did pretty good for myself. Wow. Now I can get to pass this over and uh, they can have an advantage and so forth. But there's no spiritual value in that. I did pretty good for myself. What about for God's glory? Yeah, these people do it for a corruptible crown. They got certificates and trophies on the wall for, for their own accolade showroom. But the only showroom that God shows us is his Hebrew, Hebrews 11, people that live by faith. That's the showroom that we need to be living in. By faith, by faith, by faith. And each and every single one of these people glorified God in the way they live. Were there shortcomings? Yes. But their life was spent for the glory of God. And this is what we need to do, Christians. We can't keep fighting with the old same sins again. Once we mortify them, when they need to... Stay dead. Don't bring them up again because you're going to keep fighting against your sinful, habitual patterns and you'll never move forward. This is the thing in the Christian life, in the race. You lay aside weights and sin to move forward by running with patience. In other words, you don't stop and fight with this sin and backslide two steps back, one step forward. You fight and you say, get that out of the way and get that out of the way and get that out of the way and get that out of the way. Whatever hurdles may come and they'll come unexpected hurdles, things that you didn't realize will come. They'll come from within. They'll come with, from without to stop you. The Satan's fiery darts are there and they're reality. You have to know how to deal with them with wisdom so you can fulfill the will of God because he wants to get you off course. That's the whole point. You've got to know what God wants you to do and do it. But you've got to be holy. Keep fighting with sin, old sin, getting victory one day down the next. Now, oh, just get rid of the sin. Get rid of the race and run the race. Amen. The apostle John says, I write these unto you that you sin not. So your fellowship with the Father and the Son will be sweet so you can finish all that the Father has willed for you. We should be unto perfection, brethren. Under perfection. Doing the very things that God has called us to do. Live out the sermons this year. The best sermons are lived. My, my heart, it's absolutely thrilled when I see someone living out the sermon. Amen. Yes, that's, that's my heart. That's someone could say, good sermon. But I want to wait to see, are you living it? Mm. Live it. Don't let that be short-lived. Until you get to the another one. And then another one, I live the sermons. Let them affect your heart because when they do, they affect your life. And it only, what does it do? Enhances what God has already put you on the course to run in the will of God. So this is why it's important that you know what God has willed for you and run. And these sermons that come and your Bible reading enhances what God is simply doing in your life. It enhances it. It actually uh, builds you up in the faith. You're rooted and grounded. 
The word of God, you allow it to dwell in you richly so you can continue running as a pilgrim. That's what God wants for every single one of us. They're there to build us up so we can move forward and continue to do what God's called us to do. Have a look at Psalm. Psalm 39. I've got to skip a whole heap of passages here. Don't have time. But look at Psalm 39. Look at this. Psalm 39. Look at verse 4. Look what the psalmist says here. This Psalm of David. Psalm 39 verse 4. He says, Lord, make me to know my end and the measure of my days. What is it? That I may know how frail I am. Look what he says in verse 4. Behold, thou hast made my days as a hand breath, and my age is as nothing before thee. Verily every man at best state is altogether, what's that word? Vanity. A hand breath is the width of your hand. That's all it is. That's the brevity of life. It's nothing. Make me to know my end. For what reason? The same. That I may live out my life. This is King David to your will. That I may fulfill it. I don't want to turn there because we don't have time, but you know what James says to his audience. James 4.4 4 is, is a sobering, sobering statement when he says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? You know, sometimes we think worldliness is sex, drugs, and rock and roll. He's talking to Christians here that want to live outside of the will of God. They're asking for the wrong things. They're planning tomorrow outside of the will of God. That's the context. And what spiritual adultery against the Lord is living your will here on earth versus living out the will of God. He said, don't live out tomorrow saying, I'll do this and I'll do that. And yes, you're making it. And unless you're prospering. But you should say, if the Lord wills, I do this, I do that. For all such boasting is what? Evil. And this is where we see the verse compacted between these two. What is your life? It's a vapor. You might as well. This is Charlie's edition. Live it for the glory of God and in the will of God. And it won't do any harm to any scripture. That's the whole point of what James is trying to say. What's your life? It's nothing. Live it. Saying, Lord, I want to do this and I want to do that. Because if you're just living this life, doing your own thing, and it seems like it's going all well, and wow, but God is not in it, that's boasting in evil things. So it's not necessarily sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Look what happened to Demas. He left the ministry in serving in the ministry to go back doing his own thing. I believe he, was, he loved the, the, this present life. He, he loved the pleasures of this world. What is it? It's just living for self. It's doing what you want to do versus doing what God wants you to do. 
and you're just wasting your life. To whom to know to do good and doeth it not, James says? It's sin. So what's the will of God for me? I'm going to fulfill it. If I don't, it's sin. I know what God's called me to do and I need to do it. Yeah, Demas was there in the action. As a matter of fact, there was one particular time where Demas greeted the church as almost like Paul the Apostle was writing and you can almost see Demas in the background saying, say, say hello to the church, being excited for the things of God, for the work of God. And all of a sudden he has left him and he's become unprofitable. He says, bring John Mark. He's profitable for me in the ministry. That's what matters, the service of God. The house of Stephanus addicted themselves to what? The ministry of the saints. What an addiction. Amen. Serving the saints of God. Amen. And this is what Peter says. Seeing that you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently being born again of not corruptible seed but incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever for all flesh is as grass and the glory of man is as flower of grass and the grass withereth the flower thereof falleth away but the word of God endureth forever and this is the word which was by the gospel preached unto you. And thank God for that. And any person that meditates upon the word of God and has this Bible to be his counsel, living in the will of God, is like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Look at this. And his leaf shall not wither. Shall not wither? I thought the age and the, the years of man is altogether vanity and it's going to fade away. Not when you'll have in this book, my friend, doing the will of God, you will abide forever. Your life won't be wasted. Praise God for the promise that anybody doing the will of God, living in this book, communion, walking with God, knowing what the will of the Lord is, being wise, submitting himself under, coming, walking. To do this book is not a life wasted. Our days are numbered, brethren. Every single one of us here today, our days are numbered. So you say, what do I do? Know what the will of God is for you and do it as little as it is. The will of God for you may not be this public demonstration. Don't get it wrong. You don't have to be a prophet Jeremiah if God hasn't called you to be a prophet Jeremiah. You can just be a widow with two mites and say, this is all I have. I just want to give it to the glory of God. I can go on and on and on of no names in the Bible. It's not about having a name. It's about doing what God's called you to do for his glory, for the sake of the gospel. Nothing more, nothing less. And those that will have a name, get ready to suffer a martyr's death. That's what he told his disciples. Yep. Anybody wants to be a, the greatest among you will be a servant. And a servant that follows his life after the pattern of Jesus Christ is one that gives his life a ransom for many. If that's God's will for you then, amen, which means let it be. But it might not be. What has God called you to do? Do it with all thy might. Ecclesiastes 12. Remember thy creator from thy youth. That's what it says. 
because a time will come when you get into the old age where you won't be able to do those things that you were able to do today. Don't waste your life. I beg you. Give it for the glory of God. Living sacrifice. And God will continue to refine you, refresh you, renew your mind that you may know and understand what the will of the Lord is. And then you just fight through those, fighting the good fights, making sure that nothing gets in the way between what God wants you to do. Amen? Amen. Lord, teach us to number our days. Why? That we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Our days are numbered, brethren. Our days are numbered. Let's pray.